Hello to all the new faces. If you haven't been here before, I'm Madison. I'm the community manager here at Homestead. Uh, today we've got Jacqueline and Hunter Cardinal here with us, which is very exciting. Um, this is the second talk of our second season. So we did one previously with um, external members and this one is uh, with Homestead members and Homestead alumni. So that's where we're representing the alumni today. Um, if you've missed one, like I said, we do record these, so we can um, always send you the link or you can reach out to us. We normally tweet them out as well, so feel free to check out um, we're Homestead YEG, so we'll have them all posted there. Uh, now that we've covered that, I do want to kind of address what the series is about. So if you haven't been here before, basically the series itself has been focused on the positivity side of things, innovation, everything that we've kind of been moving towards as a city and showing off the resiliency that we have. I want to start off today just talking about something that we haven't really talked about before, and that is 100% my fault. I will 100% admit to that. I've forgotten to include something that's very important and something that we're going to be doing moving forward in this series. So I want to apologize first for not doing it before. So anybody who has been part of this series before, you'll know that we haven't um, done a land acknowledgement before during our events. I, I think it was mostly lost in digital because this is not our usual thing, but I did want to acknowledge that this isn't something that we have done before, but we're going to be doing it forward. So I'm very excited to do that. Um, so... We'll kick right into that. Um, so Homestead and myself honors and thanks the many First Nations on whose historical and traditional lands Edmonton was founded, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, and Nakota Sioux. We acknowledge and embrace the fact that we are on the traditional land of Treaty 6 territory and the traditional Métis homelands of Region 4. We acknowledge the diverse Indigenous peoples whose ancestors' footsteps have marked this territory for centuries, from First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and now settlers from around the world. We do this to create awareness that we are all treaty people and to show recognition and respect for indigenous people and the traditional territories on which we live, work, and play. We take our responsibilities with indigenous people seriously and together we call upon all of our collective honored traditions and spirits to work in building a great city for today and future generations. Homestead holds the values of inclusiveness and diversity deep within the founding of this space. This series was created with those same intentions and was started because there is positivity in our community, and that is something that needs to be talked about. But before we can talk about our community, we need to acknowledge where it comes from. So I'm very, very excited to talk to both uh, Jacqueline and Hunter today from Nehewin. So we will be talking about how the pandemic has not only changed their businesses and creative events, a lot of, a lot of their endeavors beyond their business as well, but how it's also started a worldwide dialogue about change and innovation. Uh, our amazing speakers are here to tell you about their story, which is going to be very, very interesting if you haven't heard them speak before, as well as talk about what we've seen in this community, what we're going to see moving forward, and all the amazing lessons that we can learn from them. So I'm very, very excited to introduce them. I'll give you guys a little bit of background about them if you've never met them before. So our program is going to begin with Jacqueline and Hunter. Uh, Jacqueline is the co-founder and managing partner of Nehewin, as well as co-president and director of Social Awareness Group. Jacqueline was nominated for Edmonton's Top 40 Under 40 Class of 2018 and received an 
Ooh, I did not look up how to say this one. <laughs> cool. Thank you. <laughs> award for Achievement in Business and She Innovates Award from the UN Women's Global Innovation Coalition for Change. Hunter is just as accomplished and a <laughs> co-founder and director of Story at Nehoyan. Uh, last year, he was recognized by the community as actually Edmonton's best actor. So we have uh, definitely the best in the house here, as well as awarded with uh, the top 40 under 40 for the class of 2018 as well. And when he isn't welcoming people into the ancient worldviews and ways of being, he can be found connecting with his culture in ceremony or adapting his favorite songs to mandolin. So in uh, actually early 2019, their first play, Lake of the Strangers, which they co-wrote together, premiered and uh, was co-produced by the Fringe Theatre. It was crazy reception, which was awesome, critical and popular acclaim, including uh, receiving the Sterling Award for Outstanding New Play. So we're super, super lucky to have them here with us today, and I am stoked to hear all about it. Amazing. Thanks so much for the very lovely introduction. I'm gonna share my screen here so you can see the slides we prepared. I'm so conscious now because I saw that episode where Tyler was sharing the screen and he said that at ATB they joke that um, you can't share your screen without saying you're gonna share your screen. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> and it's ruined me. Um, no, I'm, thank you again for the introduction and, and just to embarrass Hunter before we get started because that's what big sisters do. Um, Hunter recently, just like a couple days ago, actually won another Sterling Award for this year for um, supporting actor in a comedic role. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Awesome, congratulations. Exactly. I taught him everything you know. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I didn't. Comedic I studied biology. Yeah. <laughs> I studied biology in school. I didn't teach him anything about his acting. But um, we're really stoked to be able to join you here today and talk about something that Hunter and I have been kind of clinging to since the mm -hmm. outbreak of the pandemic, which is that positivity, which is, you know, looking at the kind of um, you know, the world as it is right now and kind of taking this as a moment to think, okay, so yes, there are a lot of things that it seem to be broken. Um, there's a really wonderful quote, quote that we heard that like crises like these reveal underlying ongoing crises and I think that's what's happening. Um, so we have a really unique opportunity here as um, Edmontonians, as entrepreneurs, as community members to just kind of imagine the world um, anew and actually be a part of building it, which is really exciting. And um, as a builder myself, uh, I think this is something that um, I've always been looking forward to. So uh, we called this, this um, before and again, practical lessons learned from our journey of being and becoming Indigenous during the COVID-19 pandemic. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll, I'll let Hunter take it. Yeah. Thanks, uh, everyone. Um, once again, we're really excited to be here. I think like one of my favorite parts about this pandemic, if I had to pick one, <laughs> uh, would be the wonderful opportunity where we can still gather. Um, it looks differently, but I still feel the same connectedness that I would if I was in the same room with you all. So I'm really thankful that you're uh, sharing some time with us today, and we hope that uh, it's just as fun for you as it is for us. Absolutely. So uh, we, we had that lovely introduction. Thank you so much. Thank you for embarrassing me. I appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, but I'm Hunter. Anytime. And, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I just want to give a little background about who I am, uh, where I come from, um, and share a little bit about our family's yeah. background. Um, so we are Saugewe Inuak, which means um, uh, Woodland Cree. So our First Nation is the Sucker Creek Cree First Nation on the shores of Lesser Slave Lake, beautiful area. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that I call uh, Edmonton my home. Uh, I am an actor and a storyteller and I love engaging with people in that way. 
And uh, I think there's one thing else that I wanted to add is that I'm always proud to call Edmonton my home. Uh, and I'm always proud to say that Homestead was where I really felt that for the first time. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and again, we were both introduced, so you know my name. We have the exact same family history because we are siblings. Um, and I would absolutely also call uh, Edmonton and Treaty 6 uh, territory here our home. Um, and I'm getting messages on Slack. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah, so my background is in uh, technology and entrepreneurship. Um, I did have a, a love of film that I'm slowly rekindling over time, yeah. which film school made difficult to hold on to when I was 17. Long story. <laughs> um, so yeah, so no, I'm, I'm really excited to be, I, I honestly, I don't think there'd be a place that I would want to be COVID into uh, more than Edmonton. Um, being, being stuck here, quote unquote, it's a pretty good place to be, quote unquote, stuck. Um, so I'm, uh, again, very excited to be here and, and share some thoughts with you guys. Yeah. So a little background about Nehewin. We offer sustainable and practical Indigenous-based solutions for the improvement of diversity and inclusion within businesses and organizations through education and storytelling. So we work alongside entrepreneurs, educational institutions, nonprofits, and government, helping them to become stewards of the treaty to essentially understand what it is to be in relationship with other people and the world around them from an indigenous perspective. And through that journey, realize their capacity to create conditions of abundance in their organizations and beyond. Now, this looks a bunch of different ways. I think one of the, the ways that it most often looked like um, was through our in-person workshops. So this is a uh, picture, <laughs> this person is me, this is a picture <laughs> of uh, one of our Tools for Reconciliation workshops that we were hosting uh, earlier this year. Um, this was a full day intensive where we got to work with uh, non-Indigenous individuals and also members of non-Indigenous organizations and sometimes Indigenous peoples as well, mm -hmm. um, where essentially we'd gather and we'd go over fundamentals of Indigenous worldviews, of that ongoing and changing relationship that we've had as Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples, and really equipping them with the information, the stories, different ways of thinking to really meaningfully take part in reconciliation and continue that work beyond just this workshop. Now, this is a picture of me um, gingerly making a tobacco tie on one of our breaks. Um, that was one of the ways that we uh, hopefully helped with uh, individuals wanting to seek more information uh, by presenting this tobacco as a, a form of protocol to continue their learning. So this is actually one of my favorite pictures. Me too. Me too. And you can tell what time it is. I don't know why that's satisfying to me. <laughs> it's, yeah, and the temperature too. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, this, we also do uh, facilitate and design public engagement sessions. Now this is actually probably a highlight of my life because what you're looking at right now this is for the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation. We were essentially working with them last year yeah. to help them with their economic strategy. And what this conversation is, is essentially what would an indigenous economy look like if it were succeeding alongside a non-indigenous economy within Edmonton? What would that look like? And who you're seeing are uh, Edmonton's emerging indigenous leaders. And, and they're all millennials and we all gathered them was, in the same room. It was so fun. What you don't see is uh, my big grinning face <laughs> just off to the left of the screen. Uh, but this was really a wonderful opportunity to sit and uh, not only talk about the challenges that we foresee as indigenous peoples, um, I guess, uh, entering the future, but also the solutions that we see can help us facilitate those peaceful relationships. And ultimately, I would say that prosperity mm -hmm. as well. And you can see Jed giving us some teachings there. Jed's one of our favorite people. He's over at Epcor. Yeah. 
And we also work with non-Indigenous organizations who are trying to make their spaces more inclusive and also what they do more inclusive as well. Mm -hmm. So this picture was taken in the Alberta Legislative Chambers. Um, and essentially what was happening is the Alberta Legislative Assembly, they were trying to figure out how can we better represent the Indigenous peoples within Alberta in our building. I think at the time they only had one statue and they're just like, that's not acceptable. What can we do? What can we do that's meaningful and who should we be talking about? So we joined them in that journey. And what we did was not only engage with uh, people from the building who've been working there for a really long time to really understand the history and who that space was essentially, really understand the spirit and the story. Mm -hmm. We also engaged with many different stakeholders from across the province to understand, okay, if we're looking at indigenous representation, what would be the best way to represent that? Who should we be including? And once again, what are potential problems and solutions that we're gonna be engaging with? Um, so what we decided, um, which was really exciting, uh, was commissioning Alex Jambier to paint two paintings that were hung in this chamber um, where uh, this picture was taken. And what was also really exciting is we also got to help coordinate the ceremonies as a part of that ceremonial process that went alongside. The unveiling, yeah. Exactly, so yeah. what you're seeing is actually a picture taken during the first pipe ceremony ever uh, like facilitated within the chambers. Um, so it was a very historic day. It was really exciting for us, not only because of all that I mentioned, but the solution that they created, those paintings, uh, were meaningful for both parties. So people of the, who worked in that building felt a connection to this piece of art because they were involved in the process. Mm -hmm. And once again, it was rooted in who they were as an institution. Um, but then also the indigenous peoples who you can actually see looking up at the painting, uh, some of them, they actually saw themselves as part of this process as well. So it was fantastic. It was. It yeah. was a really, really special project. And of course, all of these, you can see a lot of people close together. So this was very clearly pre-COVID. So that's what we kind of wanted to get into next was, okay, so now COVID hit, um, how did everything change? Um, so, I mean, essentially, uh, I know that for Hunter and I, it was this kind of experience of, you know, two days after the pandemic had been declared, um, everything just kind of cratering for us. It was a really frightening time, but it was kind of scary for everybody. So it kind of had that feeling of um, like all being in the same storm together. So it was bad, but it was bad for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So you get some solace in that. Um, so, you know, like all of our workshops, we had to cancel them, all of our in-person engagements had to cancel them or um, rebook them, which end up getting canceled a lot of the time. And that was really heartbreaking too, because I, you know, looking down the road, I was kind of like, oh, like, like, of course, of course, this work that we do of like diversity and inclusion, it, it kind of makes sense to me that, you know, when push comes to shove, that kind of work would get kind of pushed down the priority list. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, like maybe we need to, you know, start thinking differently about the work that we're doing. Um, and so that was, that was, that was pretty, it was pretty challenging to do. And I know for the both of us, like there was a lot of kind of personal fears, I think like everyone, um, but specifically, I mean, looking at our, our indigenous communities, you know, um, you know, I think what I started to really kind of understand the gravity of the outbreak and the potential health, health outcomes. Um, the fear really started to set in about like, you know, our, our elders are our, our, our knowledge holders. They are the ones that we look to when we need help and support and they were the ones that were most at risk. And so it was just kind of like deep fear, honestly, yeah, about our business, about our people, um, just personally about like, what does this mean? I mean, like, you know, for you <laughs> yeah. as an actor. Yeah, yeah, for me as an actor, like I was always like, well, if I'm <laughs> too dumb for consulting, I can always go back and be an actor and have that to rely on. Uh, but then that was taken away. 
and then even the backup plan for an actor of like of, of, of waiting in, in a restaurant like mm -hmm. that that couldn't be done either so I was I was literally it was danger forward and backwards and on all sides. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, one thing that was really helpful at this stage was kind of like one of my, um, my favorite kind of topics, which is stoicism. Uh, so I, of course, looked at, and just, you know, philosophy in general. And this, this quote here really resonated for me at this point in time, um, which is, I'll give it to you, the actor. To bear in mind constantly that all of this has happened before and will happen again. The same plot from beginning to end, the identical staging. Produce them in your mind as you know them from experience or from history. All just the same, only the people different. And what I love so much about this quote was that this was Marcus Aurelius in 165 CE during uh, the plague that kind of went through uh, the empire at, at, during his time and about how he kind of thought about getting through it. And so kind of like seeing and like seeing what he saw and also kind of being like, oh yeah, like our people, we have, you know, as indigenous people, we've gone through, you know, smallpox, we've gone through Spanish flu and on our, on our mom's side, um, you know, gone through like typhus and malaria and like, you know, it just a whole myriad of like dangers. And so for us, it was this really useful moment for us to be like, okay, you know, we are really, you know, kind of, we are the, we are the people who are the, you know, the descendants of people who've gotten through things like this before. So we have that within us today. And not only that, but if this is going to happen again, we need to make sure that we align ourselves as, you know, contemporary peoples to, to do the right things and make sure that as we rebuild the world, that good things are at the core of them. And so, you know, for us, this, this meant, um, at this point, really going and looking to, you know, kind of what is core to us as a company, which is actually our name. So Nahiawin comes from the Cree word for the Cree language, which is Nihiawewin. And the reason why we chose that was because we have the saying in our family. It's when the people forget, the language remembers. So when we forget who we are, when we lose our way, when we need that guidance, we can always return to the language to find the values, the ideas that are woven into those words, into the sounds themselves. So what we decided to do during this time is return to our language. And what you're looking at is essentially all of the sounds and symbols used in the Cree language. This is called the, the Cree star chart. And you're seeing 48 symbols uh, that are all representative of a sound. Um, there are tons of different teachings uh, with this writing system. There are teachings uh, for each symbol. There are teachings for how you write it out, um, what you're supposed to be thinking about, as well as the different directions of syllabics that you see radiating from the center. Now, we were looking at this and trying to figure out, okay, what is it that we need to know? What resonates for us? And we found that one that resonated particularly strongly for us was actually the first symbol that you write out for this star chart, which is, and I'll, oh, right yeah, here, I got perfect. It. That you symbol right there. You that? Wait, I'll get the pointer tool. Nice. It, there you go, you can see it. Look how high tech we are. I know. That is the sound that you make. It is uh, pronounced ah. So if you see that symbol, that's an ah sound. Mm -hmm. But it's also, not only are these symbols uh, associated with a particular sound, uh, but they're also associated with a particular teaching as well. So with these 48 symbols, you also have 48 teachings. And this is the first one. So it's the most important teaching. Mm -hmm. And it is called the sacred teaching of Sagiatuk. 
Now, when I first learned about this teaching, um, the elder told me that it translated into love one another. And I was like, Sagiatuk, love one another. That makes sense that logically I'm like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll love not only myself, but those around me, uh, everything around me, I'll make sure that that is something important because a sacred law is essentially a guiding principle. And it's, it's what you strive to do all the time. It's, it's what you should keep at the core of your actions. So this idea of, of loving one another was very important. I was like, great, we got Islam, 100%. Yeah. But then when I learned it, and in that process, the elder deepened my understanding, uh, understanding essentially asked me, do you know what the root word of Sagia took is? And I was like, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know what the root word of love one another is. It's love. And the elder was like, no, it's grow or sprout. And in that moment, I understood exactly how our ancestors saw what it meant to love someone or something. It's this idea of growing with something, of embracing a constant, which is change. Mm -hmm. It is understanding that that change can be messy, it can be difficult, it can be not perfect for sure. It's not linear as well, it's often cyclical. But this idea of growing with people is something that parents do. It's something that good friends do. It's something that good communities do. And particularly now when we're looking at this apocalypse of COVID and how things are just layering on top of each other, we are in a time of extreme change. But when we think about Sagiatuk, we're reminded that that change is a good thing and it matters what you make of it. So we decided to embrace the change and take essentially everything that we were doing in person and put it online as well as we could. So what you're seeing uh, to the left right over here is one of our sessions, a webinar that we did for the Actors' Equity Association uh, this Monday. Yeah. It was fantastic. But essentially, all the actors across Canada that were in the uh, Canadian Actors' Equity Association um, and who wanted to learn more about what allyship was from an Indigenous perspective logged on. And essentially, we shared with them all that we knew about mm -hmm. that. It was a wonderful conversation. Yes. Uh, you can see uh, the fellow right there. That's the president of the Equity Association. And uh, just one of my favorite things was we also had this uh, an accessible uh, webinar as well. Yeah. So we also had it uh, interpreted for those that needed ASL. And then if we go to the top right, um, we'll see a, a lovely tweet. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, Oops. Whoa where we're essentially uh, plugging the Indigenous Awareness course that we have that's online right now. Um, because we couldn't obviously ask people to be in a room for a full day with us for like our Tools for Reconciliation course. So what we yeah. did was we took all of those teaching, all, all the knowledge that we had and made a, a very warm, engaging and interactive uh, experience for people to log into um, on any device. Um, and it doesn't have to be at the office, it could be at home, mm -hmm. it could be on the bus, it could be um, you know, having a picnic and they can learn um, all there is to know to have that foundational understanding of Indigenous awareness and Indigenous worldviews. So that was really exciting as well. Mm -hmm. And then one of my favorites was this one on the bottom right here, mm -hmm. which was um, we actually partnered up with the, uh, the Alberta Indigenous Arts Market um, that was going on during National Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, so this is really cool. So ATB was essentially putting on an initiative where 
um, they were allowing indigenous artists and helping organize them and, and put their wares online for sale um, so that they could actually like without any fees going to anybody else, all proceeds going to the artists. And also a really cool uh, format where um, they if you made a if you made a donation, a portion of that would actually be matched um, by ATB and donated to Inspire, um, which was a, this was in particular a scholarship initiative. So it was this really neat opportunity that we had to basically engage with that work and be able to lift up some of our community as well. Because uh, you know, as much as again, like Hunter and I were talking about how challenging it has been during this this time, um, there are others who are much less fortunate, and being able to give back and and keep that in mind is really important for the both of us. Mm -hmm. um, but even more, uh, well, not more exciting. I think all of this is exciting actually. Um, <laughs> but we've been uh, also giving back more to the community than we had been doing in the past because we just frankly just didn't really have time. Mm -hmm. Just kind of like work and then like eating and sleeping basically. Um, but we've been making as much efforts as we can basically to give back more to the community. So this is Hunter. You can see him being interviewed. Um, you can't really tell from the photo, but like the uh, the microphone that's under him is on a, like a six foot long stick yeah. that's being held <laughs> out to him. Um, uh, so he's being interviewed about um, the renaming uh, the Oliver Community Lead Initiative that we are helping lead. Um, so we're helping kind of unearth the history of, of the community um, and engage the community and basically just asking the question, do we, do we want this name to stand any longer? Or should we rethink it? Should we choose a name that is more coherent with our values as a community today instead of, you know, this very troubled, essentially, figure, this very controversial figure in Edmonton's history that was really um, instrumental in pushing the Papas Chase people from their lands in southern Edmonton, um, as well as many other nations, and, um, and actually contributing quite a bit to immigration laws that uh, tried to keep anyone that wasn't uh, of a certain skin tone out of Canada, um, as well as uh, lots of other um, kind of marginalized people. So um, this has been a really, really wonderful initiative and one that we're, we're really excited to be able to take part in. And, you know, it's not, it's, and, you know, we're, we're so conscious that like, yes, like this isn't going to solve every problem that there is out there. But in these moments, all you can really do is what you can do. So um, that that's, you know, basically what we prepared. I mean, like, I don't know, did you want to add anything about the Oliver stuff? Because you've been really digging into the history. Uh, I think it's really exciting to see that in history, once again, a common theme that we've always had is when community members really want something that they value, they, they will gather, they will have conversations that are, that are important and change often comes from that. And I think right now what we're seeing is uh, that same process being ignited, um, perhaps about different ideas, but kind of at the core. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my general statement about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a little hard to uh, top that with anybody who speaks after you guys for sure. <laughs> that was that was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, kind of just what's been going on with you guys for the past few months because it's no doubt been a little bit <laughs> it like you said it's it's kind of this collective thing that we've all been feeling and it's very interesting to hear that that um there is good coming out of it so i like i like hearing that part for sure um i do want to remind everybody that they can feel free to write any q a uh if you have any questions feel free to put them in the chat and uh we're just compliments yeah. yeah feel free comments. <laughs> virtual high fives any, yeah. any sort of like that um i will start with the question that i've been asking everybody uh throughout the series first which is in your experience um what makes edmonton 
appealing as an entrepreneur? What made you kind of want to start your business here? I mean, for me, I know that I was really excited to, to do this work. I mean, partly because uh, we, were, we were so keen to start in a haven here because Edmonton's like one of the fastest growing indigenous populations in Canada, if not the fastest. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of individuals here that need change to be done. And for me, um, kind of knowing that there is work to be done and that this is where the work needs to happen is really, was really exciting and interesting to me. Um, you know, outside of that, though, like Edmonton is very um, builder minded. We're very kind of open to people starting new things. I don't think I heard even once um, when we were starting out like, oh, like, are, like, are you sure? Like there was nobody questioning us. It was basically just like, yeah, absolutely. Like, tell me how like we can yeah. help. Um, so it's just that that kind of um, entrepreneurial spirit is so core to Edmonton. And it's something that I really um, valued because I have I started another company in uh, in England in Brighton and that was a lot harder to do. Um, Edmonton is very um, willing and, and eager to lift up its entrepreneurs. Absolutely, and and building off of that, um, also willing to through an entrepreneurial way lift up the artists as well. Mm -hmm. So when we were um, raising funds and um, community support for Lake of the Strangers, we we did probably the most uh, taxing way of doing <laughs> fundraising ever. Um, in the middle of winter, uh, in freezing rain, we wanted to set up a teepee and have uh, some of Edmonton's like arts, cultural, and business leaders um, come and, and learn a little bit more about the, the ideas that we were playing with in creating this, uh, this story. And our whole ambition for this story was like, we wanted to create a story that would last for generations. And that would be essentially a new Canadian myth that would be told like a thousand years from now. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were pitching that to people to come take part in this journey of also joining in, on the process of creating this story the the common response that we got was just yeah okay <laughs> right on yeah, yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah. yeah so for me I, I was super stoked about that and that's why it's really appealing to, to be here awesome yeah it's um one of our members and boya who's joined us um we spoke with him last week and he is a jazz musician so having that kind of interesting part of the live aspect and live entertainment thing is something that we were definitely discussing um i know you started with one um but obviously if you want it to become a new myth then you're gonna have to do a whole bunch to go oh, yeah. with it right yeah. oh yeah is that something that you guys would like to continue like if live theater can kind of come back or if you've thought of any other ways of getting that out there or yeah, absolutely. Like we've actually been commissioned for new work, um, which we're which we're starting development on, which is really exciting so and cool. super daunting as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I thought it was a bit of a fluke that the last one went off so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so so that's been interesting. But it's really it's it's been quite exciting to look at the theater community right now and just kind of rethink like you know was theater really you know working super well at the time when all of this happened? Should we be rethinking how theater works? I know something that I, I, that was, you know, a regret if I had to call it something yeah. was that like a lot of, you know, folks from our community, um, you know, didn't have experience going into the theater. 
Um, it would have been their first play that they were coming to see for some of them. And some of them were like located too far away and the expense to actually bring the, the you know, our, our production out there would have been pretty immense for, you know, the, the dozens of people that might want to see it. So, um, so it was, it was just kind of, you know, this moment for us too, just being like, is this a bad thing or is this perhaps an opportunity again for us to explore, um, you know, perhaps, you know, filming these things. Could we look into VR or like AR shows? Can we, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality? Um, can we be looking into streaming, um, you know, uh, like our play mm -hmm. or readings or whatever? Because we've seen a lot of those. We've been participating in some of them, uh, mainly you mm -hmm. um, and our uncle as well, who's, a, who's an actor as well. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's been, it's something that I definitely want to continue, at least the storytelling portion. Um, what that'll actually look like, I don't know. And I think that's kind of exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, it's strange that you were kind of not expecting the success considering you have Edmonton's best actor. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's definitely um, something that we talked about and I think it's going to be interesting to see moving forward, but this is where that innovation comes forward, right? And um, that's kind of one way that I was kind of wondering about um, you mentioned on your website that you use ancient tools to solve contemporary problems. Is this something where you think you could apply something like that to or? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's what's like, what I get super excited about in general is that like, there really aren't like, we're basically human beings are just like monkeys with anxiety, right? So it's like, we, we, a lot of the stuff that we know about human beings, like we figured out a thousand years ago at the most, like we figured everything out pretty much. It just kind of looks different um, today. And that's why we kind of get confused and think that we truly need to be innovative as opposed to perhaps being like, okay, like, you know, look at what Marcus Aurelius said about, you know, hit the plague during his time. Um, very clearly, he was aware that there had been plagues, you know, before, you know, before his reign as well. And that was, you know, in the early near, near year one. Yeah. So, um, so like, so that's been interesting to me. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think returning to what we call uh, first principles, I think that's, that's more of like a, a recent scientific, like... Yeah, it's in physics. Yeah, it's in physics, but yeah. ideas that we know to be true no matter what, um, that's something that we're finding to be really useful and it's exactly where we find a lot of these ancient tools. I think Sagiatuk and that writing system, that's an ancient tool. Um, the, the writing system itself, uh, there's some... Um, syllabics that are found in the writing in Stone Park that date back to around like 10,000 BCE. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very incredibly old, but it's just these timeless uh, truths that can help guide our actions in a way that isn't basically um, tied to whatever technology is available at the time. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, look at the problems that we're really facing, like where we're really struggling with this. How do we take care of one another? How do we, you know, create safe communities? How do we you know, make sure that the world is safe and, you know, plentiful and abundant for our children and grandchildren, like a lot of these ideas and like none of those are new. So it's, it's about kind of bringing forth that ancient wisdom today and trying to, again, translate that so that people can you know, wrap their heads around it and see it is practical and useful. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, again, it's, it's something that we're really exciting, excited to do. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I really liked when uh, you talked about the root of that word, because yeah. it's, it's not something that really I would have thought of. I would have assumed the same thing. Like, yeah, of course, love. of course, love, right? Yeah. Very yeah. fascinating. Exactly. Yeah, worldviews are a trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've actually, um, I've never gotten to see it laid out 
in the star pattern before and just hearing mm. about that was also very interesting um for i'm sure everybody watching because it's not something that gets talked about quite a lot and i know with moving forward with these acts of reconciliation um that's where things like the oliver community project kind of come into play um so yeah, is absolutely. there with that you're working on the consultation process right kind of so like it's it's one of those things like I have like sometimes I have ideas and I'm like that's a great idea so I try to like have other people do it by just bringing it up and hoping people steal it and it happens very seldomly actually it turns out ideas are cheap and work is hard so um <laughs> so basically we um were I, I basically been kind of peddling this idea around for a little bit and then um just you know the new kind of community league uh the, the new kind of people in charge um, were just like, yes, this is something that we absolutely want to do. Um, what do we do next? And so we're just like, okay, let's do this. Um, you know, the time is right in terms of kind of, I think, kind of the social climate as well as um, just kind of awareness around how important um, it is to kind of address our past, not to forget about it or erase it or paint over it, but um, to really make sure that we can move forward knowing and learning all that we have learned over time. Um, so yeah, so essentially we just kind of jumped in and we just kind of pitched in wherever, honestly, like we're doing, we, we helped kind of form the, uh, the process that we would like to actually replace this kind of one and done naming uh, convention that exists. So you name a place and then it's just, that's the name forever, as opposed to what we've suggested, which is every 30 years, communities essentially come back together um, to either to have a discussion about the name and revisit the spirit of the place and, you know, have a frank conversation, like, does our name still fit who we are? Um, and if it does, fantastic, have a big block party. And if not, then engage in a renaming process. And um, we think this is, again, really links back to a lot of the teachings that we've heard about names from our indigenous ancestors of, you know, that, you know, people change, communities change. Um, that's why you don't have actually too many indigenous place names that like people can really point to. Like a lot of people say, you know, Miskuchi Waskiagan is the, you know, indigenous, the, the Cree name for this place. And that's, uh, that's actually not entirely accurate from what we've learned from, from some elders, um, that that was actually the name translates into Beaver Hills House, um, which was the fort that was actually like quite a ways away. Yeah, near Elk Island. Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. kind of, yeah. And so the name has just kind of for some reason made its way out here, um, which is still like important. Um, but they're, you know, the, the closest name that we can say with any accuracy is Otana, um, which means the heart of where the people are or city. Um, so and so again like that's why we think like you know names are so important but um so yeah so that was the the, the basically a suggestion that we put forward for changing how we think about place names and we hope that perhaps this could actually extend to how we think about monuments statues street names um just to, to have them less be like okay you know we've named this thing and now we never return to it and just hope that our children and grandchildren look upon us kindly um but instead offering opportunities for you know people to change and grow into the future I think that's an amazing idea. This uh, idea of revisiting the name is very, very interesting. I think that would help a lot, especially, you know, places like Horlack Park, like he just <laughs> named it after himself because he wanted the pretty park to be named after him, right? Exactly. It, Which, it had a different name before. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, like all of us would do that, I, 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 I think. <laughs> so when you're <laughs> when you guys are mayor it's gonna be hunter park all right yeah, yeah, yeah. you imagine a joint mayorship oh yeah that would be a disaster <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not everybody's calling that's for sure um <laughs> do you think that this is going to be something that we do see moving forward though because i know there's been some controversy around like emily murphy park or um some of those other less 
at yeah. the time they weren't considered problematic, but you know, a hundred years later, yeah. we've seen some changes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do. I do think that this will go forward. I think that it's about time. I think that there's. A, it's really interesting, actually, discovering just you know now that we're all kind of aware of like institutional like racism and bias um, because of what's happened over the last month. I think we're you know more able to kind of uh, see where there are these kind of inequities and kind of systemic barriers in place. Like for example, there is actually no process in place whatsoever in the city of Edmonton or any municipality that we've been able to discover um, for renaming places or uh, replacing statues um, and monuments. So like there there is you know and how do we replace those 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 works with something new? Um, so I think that that's again really telling about how you know perhaps those in power in the past have thought about, you know, their decisions and the permanency of those decisions and how long those sh should stay in place. Um, so yeah, so that's been, uh, that's been interesting to kind of discover. But the exciting thing is that, you know, the today, the communities that we have are open to exploring new ways of, uh, new ways of thinking about these things. We just have to actually do the work of preparing those new processes and, you know, kind of doing that socialization and, you know, engaging enough people um, to actually put those through. Yeah, that's very interesting because I know with you mentioning like Marcus Aurelius in here, like we still know that name. There's still statues yeah. of that. There's still a lot of stuff because it's that question of permanency, right? That we've kind of all been obsessed with having things named after us for a long, long time, like the pyramids, other things. And it's something that we seem to not see so much in indigenous cultures here in Canada. Yeah. No, it's true. And, and globally as well. And I think it's, you know, it's because it's a, it's a very different worldview where like, um, you know, like it's said, oh, I'm going to murder this. So you'll have to like fix it for Swan me. 72? No, oh, <laughs> no, it's this, uh, <laughs> Um, no, but it's this idea that like, uh, like we are not the owners of the land today. We're ho holding it in stewardship for those yet to come. Like the true owners of the land have not been born yet. Um, and so it's this idea that like we're, you know, we're doing the important work right now of taking care of the land and being in balance so that we can hopefully pass off the world, um, you know, into the future for the ones who are the true owners of it. And I think the idea is that the owners will never be born. I don't think there's like a prophecy about like the owners of the land will be born in this yeah. year. Yeah, and then that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then we're done. But um, so I think that, you know, con like contrast that with like very death denying um, very legacy focused, um, a lot of anxiety about like the future and like being seen as modern. I know there are a lot of philosophers and sociologists that think that um, there's a lot of, uh, like our, our, ma our main problem right now is actually not so much racism or um, even like kind of, you know, social class disparities, but um, it is in the kind of division between who is civilized and who is not. And that um, that anxiety about being seen as not civilized. So I think that there's also that at play. It's very interesting to kind of see that, like you know, how how our relations play out today are so linked to these really really foundational anxieties. So um, so yeah, absolutely. I see that same yeah that same trend for sure, Madison. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. Like you said, um, just monkeys with more anxiety, right? So <laughs> apparently, along the way, we get obsessed with naming things about after ourselves and still seems to continue um yeah. it's like it doesn't work yeah, yeah a little <laughs> weird that way right it's uh it's very very interesting i think um when you talk about all of the work you do as well it's several like different lines of business right like you have um your consulting work but you're also playwrights and you're also performing and kind of meshing this all together it's does it get a little 
a little much sometimes. Like you said, you were very busy and then this is oh, the yeah. first time you've kind of had the chance to reflect, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I feel like I've been talking to No, no. I would say that they feed into each other. It kind of feels like the, the same story. Like, I think what's interesting is we can look back on our play that we did and say like, in terms of consulting work and an engagement process and the qualitative data we got from this, uh, the this, show. The, the yeah. show We'd say that that was probably our most effective uh, consultation that we ever did on on, yeah. on the idea of family and Edmonton and bringing together community, mm-hmm. and then vice versa. We find that some of our, our the the stories that we've helped bring forward to guide certain consultation processes, or even like um, different processes that the city's undertaking or projects rather um, require rooting in a myth. And bringing, bringing able, or being able to bring that forward and have people click into a story and feel connected and also have their intentions uh, more um, clear has been really helpful. So it kind of feels like it's all part of the same song, yeah. I would say. Absolutely. And I, and I think, too, even just for our thinking, like it helps to kind of switch between sides of your brain. Yeah. Um, and just kind of see like how often creative thinking is needed and in, in something more kind of design oriented, like for a, a engagement design or um, vice versa. Yeah. And how important it is even when in like playwriting or, or storytelling, how important it is that you make sure that you're, you know, bringing the right story forward, um, that you're taking into account the audience and that kind of thing. And really trying to, again, bring people along because that's really what it is. Like, I mean, I, I feel like if you were to remove, you know, storytelling, consulting, like it can all kind of be boiled down to how do we better bring people along um, in a direction that we want to go. And so we can just kind of use whatever tools pop up and make themselves available. That being said, though, we it's 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 a lot of work like and I I feel such a and we've talked about this a lot. And I think that it's something that I actually have to grow out of a little, which is this like kind of really overwhelming sense of um, uh, gratefulness for having the opportunities that we have and a real sense of like feeling obligated to, to take advantage of as many of them as, as we possibly can. So if, you know, basically when we were like asked, like, you want to do a play two years ago, yeah. we were like, yes, not knowing at all what we were saying yes to. And that was kind of the beginning of Lake of the Strangers. And, um, and so that's kind of the beginning of all of our projects of so just kind of like, you want to try this. And we're just like, absolutely. And then we just kind of, you know, jump into it and learn along the way. So um, getting a little bit like wiser now that we've, we've done a little more and yeah. we're, <laughs> we're a little more keen to, to make sure we have some rest time. But, um, but yeah, that's definitely, it's, it's a balancing act, not just between our work, but between like personal life and, you know, making sure we see family and take care of ourselves and, and that kind of stuff. Definitely. I can imagine. I know um, we had one other entrepreneur on here a couple sessions ago talking about how it's kind of like a waterfall. And if you mm-hmm. say yes to everything, your yourself gets washed away. Huh. So um, yeah. it I definitely, yeah. definitely can feel like that. I feel like if you're saying yes, yes, yes. But at first, you know, you do have to base, you have to get that knowledge from somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't, I don't think it's possible to learn it any other way than, you know, turning on that fire hose and be like, whoops. Yeah. Glasses go flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be pretty fun to see that. Right. But uh, no, it's, um, it's yeah. very interesting. Um, I'm also a glasses wearer, so I'm just panicking about where my contacts would end up with that. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see like this balance that exists and how, we all kind of best try to deal with that. And I think throughout the, um, the pandemic, I think at first it was called the great pause 
and everyone kind of had a chance to reevaluate. And so moving forward, you, you guys feel like you maybe have more of a sense of where you're going or is it still kind of just everything? <laughs> no, I think absolutely. I mean, like, and that was kind of the first, I think like in the week following the kind of like when I, so I, I was following a lot of the, the numbers coming out of, of Wuhan, like early on. Um, and I, and I'm like, I, I mentioned earlier, like I did study biology. So like I did understand the gravity and I understood like it was inevitable for there to be a global pandemic, but for some reason I didn't believe it until literally it was like, you know, the NHL shut down. And then for some reason that was the clincher for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big like hockey person either. So I don't know why, but, um, but if Edmonton shuts down hockey is serious, I guess that's what it is. Um, so it was, but it, you know, a week or two following that, I just remember being really sad. I just remember feeling, um, really panicked and, uh, and really, yeah, wanting to figure out like what, what to do and just feeling really helpless. So figuring out from there, um, that, uh, yeah, no. So f figuring out from there, you know, kind of like, what does it actually mean to me? Like when I, when I kind of got over the sads, I'm just being, okay, what does this actually mean for me? I did kind of think like I need to do more creative work. That was definitely things became more essential. Yeah. Like for business, what is, what are the essential things we need to be doing? Not just for um, like cash, a, flow. cash flow, but like long-term. Yeah. Um, what's fulfilling, what's impactful. Yeah. And the same thing for me, all of a sudden the, the stories that we were writing for, we had no audiences for them. So then the audiences became a choice for us mm -hmm. of who are these stories for? Uh, and I think that and was really important. And what story do you want to tell? And like actually, like during the initial pandemic outbreak, we had had a concept we were working on for a play. And then when the pandemic broke, I was like, it feels ridiculous to make a musical right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, no, I'm no. not going to do that. So I don't like, need that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what we do need and what we always find that we you know, end up you know, doing storytelling about is what stories do we need to hear? Um, and so like, that's kind of like where we're going now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been definitely, definitely a moment of reflection. I, I keep having to remind myself though, that it's, you know, probably one of the most psychologically taxing times that we as a, you know, global experience, hopefully fingers crossed, or at least we have in the, in the, in the recent, um, past. So, um, you know, trying as well to kind of, you know, not self-development myself, um, yeah. you know, into trying to be as productive as possible during this time and just allowing myself to just be, you know, a scared, anxious monkey. Um, and, uh, and that's been helpful too, but yeah, no, the, the reflection has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. I think that we're definitely going to do a lot more creative works moving forward and a lot more kind of education and, and workshops, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. I think honestly, community has been something that's kept most people kind of sane through this and whether it's, we're meeting on zoom, like we are now, or just making sure to send that text that you're like, Oh, I can answer them whenever it makes a real big impact on people. And especially when, you know, there's job loss or other things like that. And I think the Edmonton community has been pretty great about lifting each other up. I know um, Linda, who we had on a previous session, she just sent out one tweet being like, this guy had started a business during, um, during the pandemic. He's been really sad and kind of needs to probably close down if things don't pick up. And he's had lines out the door for the past three days. So that's that Edmonton kind of community coming together. And has that something that you guys have experienced as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're, I think that we're the worst people that I know at asking for help. 
besides like a couple of the people on this call actually yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like us uh you know us needing to to make sure that we we ask for help is something that we definitely struggle with so yeah but i mean like people have been really like asking us for like you know do you need any help and it's kind of made us think like okay like what do we actually want to do and like where could we actually have some um some assistance so yeah, like I, I don't know, like people have been, you, you actually had a phone call where somebody was basically asking like if we take donations. Yeah, that was, that was intense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we have to balance that as well though too with like our desire to like give and help. So like trying to do as much kind of, you know, stuff for free as we can and give as much as we can for free too because we know that like, you know, a lot of people that need, you know, even just some storytelling, some distraction for a bit, um, you know, that's something that we want to be able to offer and they might not be able to afford it too. So um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been an interesting, fun time. I feel like I have like waves of, you know, it's definite roller coaster feeling of feeling very alone and feeling really scared. And then moments of just being like, like, we're all going to make this. And I think actually we're going to come out the other side a lot better. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's actually the truth. I feel like that's what I'm actually looking at the world rather than just what I'm scared um, to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, who, however long this goes, I think that we'll be able to really make some good come out of it and come out the other end. Definitely stronger. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys have already got a pretty good basis for that. That's <laughs> for sure. Uh, it's, um, I think it's been a time where people are looking for comfort and storytelling is something that really does bring that, even if it's just mentioning, you know, we've been through plagues before, we've been through things before, especially as a, as an, as a community and as a, as entrepreneurs, like you guys have faced everything, right? <laughs> yeah. This would be something for the resume for sure, you know. Like, oh yeah, survived COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not every business has made it through and there are reasons for that. Having a sustainable business is something that people aim for and seeing your business become one of those like, yep, we're making it through this. Is that something like, feels pretty good I can imagine oh yeah absolutely and I mean like you know it's it was tough for us too because like we are a social enterprise so like we you know we end up we do end up giving a lot back to community and, and try to do as much as we can and we really do see the work of Nehawan as enabling us to give back to community and enable us to do stuff like you know make new art and that yeah. kind of thing um and and invite people in that way in so um but yeah no just seeing some of the the numbers coming out I'm just like wow there's you know like if we, if we do indeed make it through, it's going to be amazing. It's going to feel really rewarding. Um, and then, you know, again, like what will we do after? But it is, I mean, especially in the last month has made us really think like, who can we reach out and help more? Um, but we did, you know, have a, have a little while where we felt a little bit scared that we were pouring from an empty cup. So, um, so yeah. So no, it's, it's definitely rewarding for sure. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I just want to thank you both again for sharing this with us. It's been incredible hearing what you've been working on just the past couple of months, let alone for the past few years. <laughs> I, I can imagine we could keep you here for hours and hours and hours, but uh, that's it's hard to not want to hear you guys tell stories. Like, honestly, I get why you're director of story. Like, it's very impactful. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's pretty good at it. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. I'll keep you around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. she did teach you everything you know. So. Yeah, exactly. It, uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would be amazing. No, again, like, Madison, thanks for, thanks for organizing this and having us on. And um, for anybody that, like, wants to get in touch with us, please do. Yep. Like, you know, send across our contact information. Um, yeah. Again, really thankful. 
Yeah, no, we're, we're always happy to see uh, Homestead alumni and to hear a little bit going on in your world. So thank you so much for sharing with that, uh, that with us because we know uh, it's, it's tough to squeeze in another Zoom call these days. So we really appreciate <laughs> that. And I'm, I'm really glad that we could have you today. We have a, a few people who are super excited to see you, some old, some old school members who are very oh, happy yeah. to see your faces Hi. as well. Yeah, no, this is, this is so great. Kind of feels like we're just like in that kitchen again. Oh those yeah, tables. hanging out. Yeah, the coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, that's what we were aiming for. So I'm glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, well, you can definitely reach out to them. Obviously, they're in the Haywin uh, everywhere. Yeah. They lucky enough to get that uh, Instagram and Twitter and <laughs> everywhere there. And then they have various cardinal names, as we know, on Twitter too. We're so, very funny people. I'm another cardinal. I'm one woman. more cardinal. <laughs> I when I saw your Twitter names, I was like, okay, well, we need to follow these people and have them talk yeah, exactly. all the time. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm definitely there with you. Um, we'll be having another one next Thursday as well. We're going to be talking some health and wellness, which will be very exciting uh, to get us kind of back into shape now that we're allowed to kind of go out into the world. So that's pretty exciting there as well. And I do want to just thank everybody who's tuned in today, all of our, our members and non-members uh, for coming to meet our community. If this is your first time, welcome. If it isn't, welcome back. But uh, thank you again for sharing your time with us. And I, I can't wait to see you all next week. Mm -hmm.